Father, we do also pray as well for our government. As you call us to in 1 Timothy 2, you tell us to pray for the leaders, for those in high places, and we do. Lord, we pray this morning. I was just, just, just aware and just sensitive to the fact that I, I want to pray, Lord, that you would give them, our leaders in, in all branches of government at all levels, Lord, that you would give them wisdom and a heart to act justly. Right. Lord, that they would act in accord with your character. Lord, I pray that you would grant conviction where needed. Lord, where policies or heart postures are not those of desiring to do justice to all peoples. Lord, may you grant conviction. And Lord, may you increase compassion as well. Lord, in our leaders, increase compassion, especially for the weak, especially for those who are oppressed. Lord, may you Lord, do what only you can do and give them your heart for the weak for the oppressed. We know that it is very important to you. And Father, I was just, just aware this morning as well. I want to pray for all of our hearts as well. Lord, I pray that you would help us to not put our hope in politicians, in the Supreme Court, in the political process. Lord, keep us from that. Lord, but let us put our hope in you, the ruler and king of kings. Lord, you are ruling and reigning over all right now. Lord, give us that conviction. Build our hope that we would not look to the things of this world for our hope, but that we would look to you. And Lord, I pray that you would, by, by the power of your Holy Spirit, as only you can, that you would help us to live in unity amongst the very real and okay differences that we might have among us on various sides of various issues. May you, Lord, allow us just to walk in unity, to have a gospel-centered unity towards these issues, and that we can disagree in love. I pray that you would help us to do that, and in that, that we would be a witness to the watching world, Lord, that things do not have to be polar opposites, but that we can walk in love with those whom we disagree. So help us, Lord. Help us to place our hope in you, the great God and Savior, and help us to walk in unity with one another. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. Worship team, thank you guys very much. Well, for all of our guests, my name is Joshua. I serve as one of the elders, one of the pastors here. I just want to thank you so much for, for coming out to worship with us this morning. If you're new here or if this is one of your first times or your, like, tenth time here and you've yet to fill out a Connect card, I would just ask you to do that this morning or in the bulletin that you received when you walked in. It just lets us know that you are here and it lets us connect with you so that you can know how to get connected to the life of this church. So tear that out, drop it in the offering box, which is behind the curtain back there, and we will be in contact with you. And as we transition to our worship through giving and to a special offering, I just want to, is this okay? I feel really bad. Sorry about the technical difficulties here. But that we do desire to have a scripture, scripture shape or our convictions about our giving and all of that. And so this morning I want to turn our attention to Paul's words in 1 Timothy 6 and hear how they might shape how we think about our giving. The Apostle Paul writes, "Is for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. 
I was just struck by that last line there, taking hold of that which is truly life. And in our giving here, our giving is an active display. It's an active sign of us setting our hopes on God and not on our riches, not on our money. So as you are, are giving, as you give online, as you give in the back at the offering, at the info table there, you are actively showing that your, your hope is in the God who richly provides. Your hope is not in your money here. In doing so, you're, you're taking hold of that which is truly life. For those who, who put their hope in money and riches, they're, they, they think they're holding on to life, but they're really holding on to slavery, to death, because if your hope is in money, you'll never have enough. But here Paul is instructing us to, to trust God with our money, and as we do, we're grabbing hold of life because we're grabbing hold of God, the God who richly provides. So as I mentioned here, as you do that online, as you give, on, as you give in the back, just know that you are in a very tangible and real way trusting and placing your hope in God. And as you received emails about this week as well, we're going to have a, a special offering this morning for Pastor Mario. Mario is a pastor in, uh, in Tijuana. He, um, the, we have a relationship with him since the time that we passed. The missionary Jasmine that we support, she was sent out from their church. And he recently had heart surgery. He had to have a pacemaker installed um, through, the, through the giving that his family, that his church, and even Reservoir up in North County that they were able to take to help supplement some of that cost. Um, they weren't able to fully cover everything, and there's still a need. And so just desiring to be faithful, we wanted to let you know of that need and so that you might be used by God to help meet that need if that's what the Spirit has laid on your heart. So we do just want to let you know that there is a need and um, on that note, we're going to, I think, be passing some baskets along. So if you saw the emails and you came ready, that's wonderful. Drop a, you guys can come on forward. Um, you guys can go ahead and drop a check or some cash in there. Um, if you want to give, but this is the first time you're hearing about it, I apologize. And know that you can um, either mail a check into the church office. You can bring it next week. Put Mario in the memo line, and we will make sure that he gets that money. Um, and while they're doing that, just want to highlight two brief announcements. The first is our Discovering Grace Church class that is going to be starting in two weeks from today on November 3rd. If you are new to this church or have been coming for a while and, and, and want to pursue membership, this class is for you. Uh, the class doesn't obligate you to membership, but it does. it is the first step in that process, letting you know about who we are as a church, how you can, um, how you can become a member in that process. Um, so if you're interested, um, please sign up in the back to let us know so we can make sure we have enough materials. And especially if you need child care, do let us know soon so we can make sure that we have that for you. And second, I just want to highlight the Becoming Like Christ Together class that we have starting next Sunday. This is going to be a four-week class where we, where we look at discipleship, where we look at sanctification, and we, we just want to think together about how do we become like Christ together. I mean, the Christian life is the churched life. It's the discipled life. And I really just want to, in this class, help us together develop a, a, a vision of what doing that in community looks like and how God wants to meet us in those ways in those ways. I particularly just want to encourage our high schoolers and our young adults um, to, to really consider coming to this class. I, I wish I had had a vision of discipleship when I was in high school or when I was a young adult, and I just think that this class might be used by God to, to give you a framework to consider what does that look like, what might God be calling me to, um, and so do consider signing up on the back so we can make sure we have enough, um, inf not information, but handouts for you, and yes, thank you for considering that.
Well, on that note, I do want to release all of our grade schoolers and then the middle schoolers as well this Sunday, right? Middle schoolers? Yes, middle school this Sunday. And then um, while they're, uh, while they're every, signing everyone in, why don't we uh, take a moment to greet one another? Check. Okay, folks, let's come on back, if you would, please. Thanks so much. Thank you for greeting each other. I know it is good to be together. Come on back, if you would, please. And if you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, and now chapter 12. The book of 1 Corinthians, and now chapter 12. We just finished in 1 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2, and we called that being a gospel-centered community. We were allowing God's Word to focus us on the good news of Jesus Christ, for we are unashamedly 
unashamedly a people centered on that gospel, that good news. Now we're going to fast forward in this letter over to chapter 12 and begin chapters 12 through 14, a little six-sermon mini-series we're calling Being a Spirit-Empowered Community. I'd like to pray for us, and then Tiffany is going to read our passage this morning. Let's ask for God's help together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have been responding to your greatness as revealed in your Word and in your Son and in creation. And now, Holy Spirit, open our eyes again. Help us to understand and apply this wonderful passage. And help us to do so for your glory, we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Tiffany. Esteemed theologian, Dr. J.I. Packer has written, your Christian life is like a three-legged stool. The legs are doctrine, experience, and practice, which is obedience. And he says, and you will not stay upright unless all three are there. So your Christian life is like a three-legged stool, doctrine, experience, and practice, or obedience, and you will not stay upright unless all three legs, he says, are there. Friend, do you feel like you have all three legs in place right now? I mean, we tend to be, I hope, pretty strong, pretty clear in our doctrine, our understanding of God's Word. I I hope we're pretty clear in terms of practice, in terms of obedience. I can always grow, yes, but I hope hope we're pretty clear about that. What about this experience leg? What do you think about when it comes to that leg of the stool? Experience. Do you tend to think, whoa, that's where you need to be careful. Stay away. Stay away from that thing called experience. That becomes dangerous real fast. And yes, there can be abuses. 
And yes, we need, friends, biblical safeguards. But I submit to you from God's Word, biblical experience is held out to us as well. And we want that leg functioning in our church also. We want that leg functioning in your life also. And I know it is. I know it is. I told you previously how last February we met with our leaders and representatives of various demographic groups in this church. We asked them, talk to us about what you perceive as our strengths as a church and talk to us about where we can grow, where we can improve. And one theme that emerged from that evening was, I don't think we're consistently enough putting into practice our convictions about the present-day work of the Holy Spirit. In part, that third leg of the stool. And that was a helpful reminder to us, even a bit of a helpful corrective. And so as elders, we, we began to study, and we studied in particular the book Spirit and Sacrament by Andrew Wilson, which we would highly recommend. We'd love to have every member here purchase and read Spirit and Sacrament by Andrew Wilson. I think it captures the, the vision of what we're seeking to pursue from Scripture. We studied that, and we decided let's teach on the topic of the work of the Holy Spirit more, and let's teach, in fact, from 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Now, this three-chapter unit is not all one could say from Scripture about the work of the Holy Spirit. Not even close. But this three-chapter unit does highlight some important aspects of that leg of the stool Dr. Packer called experience. So this morning, I want to see with you two, two fundamental, absolutely crucial, and related truths. I'm going to phrase them as actually two exhortations so that we can feel, I believe, what God wants us to feel from His Word. Here's the first. First, we are to recognize all the people of the Spirit. <laughs> recognize all the people, you might say, of the Spirit. You see, the Corinthian church had written to Paul asking a series of questions, and now we have in this section of 1 Corinthians his response back to them. That's why you read in verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts. Now I'm addressing, the apostle says, your question to me about spiritual gifts, or more literally, spiritual things or spiritual persons. You see, some in Corinth were elevating certain gifts, especially the gift of tongues or the gift of unlearned languages for prayer or praise. Some were elevating that gift as a way of showing who the real spirit people are. You know, those who had attained the, the higher life of the spirit, those who were the spiritual elite. And can't we do the same sometimes? create a kind of tier system and ask, well, who are the spiritual special forces? Who are the spiritual Navy SEALs? And we begin to create these tiers like the Corinthians had done. You got the spirit-filled and the non-spirit-filled Christians. The spirit-baptized Christians and the non-spirit-baptized Christians. You got the supernaturally gifted Christians and this the Oh, the naturally gifted Christians. you got the spiritual Christian and the carnal Christian. We, we create this tier system, this kind of class system. 
And God is addressing that here, friends. The apostle speaks to their previous ignorance as unbelievers in verse 2 and then pick it up in verse 3. Look at verse 3 where he says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. What's he saying? He's saying if you deny Jesus, if you say Jesus is accursed, that's proof you don't have the Spirit of God within you. But if you say Jesus is Lord, if you genuinely believe that fundamental confession of faith, like we confessed earlier from the Nicene Creed, if you genuinely believe Jesus Christ is Lord, that, he says, is proof of the Spirit of God within you. In their world, like ours, proclaiming allegiance to a crucified Jewish carpenter was not normal or natural. To believe that someone executed as a criminal now rules the universe and offers the only way to be reconciled to God. And to dedicate your life to this crucified rabbi, to say that he alone is Lord and Master. He says that is the evidence that you are a true spirit person, you might say. But why is that? Why is that the evidence? of a true spiritual person? Well, because left to ourselves, we are dead in sin. Ephesians chapter 2 is very clear about that. We are dead in sin. We may have lived an outwardly moral life. We may have gone to church. We may have grown up in the church. But when it came to savingly believing on Jesus Christ as Lord to be reconciled to God, we would never do that because we could never do that. We were dead, spiritually speaking. You see something of an analogy when the prophet Ezekiel sees a valley of bones, very dry bones, he says. And God says to Ezekiel in this vision, prophesy to these bones, prophesy over these bones, which seems kind of silly, because dead bones can't respond to the word of God. But Ezekiel prophesies, and he hears a, a rattling sound. Bones come together, sinews and flesh. And then, and then there are these sort of non-living creatures, I suppose, created skeletons before him. And then God says, prophesy to the breath or the wind or the spirit. <laughs> prophesy to the breath or the spirit and say to the breath or spirit, breathe on them that they may live. And they did. And a great army stood before the prophets. He was seeing prophetically God restoring his exiled people God, in effect, recreating his people, you might say. How? Through his word, by his spirit. Through his word, by his spirit. Friends, what God was doing there, picturing there, corporately, to his exiled people, he has done for you individually, if you are a Christian. He made you alive, through his word, by his spirit. Through his word, 
by His Spirit. One day you heard this good news, or you thought of this good news, or you read about this good news, and suddenly the cross of Jesus Christ was not just some miscarriage of justice. Suddenly the cross of Christ was the most amazing act of love and mercy you could conceive of. Suddenly you genuinely believed in this resurrected King, and suddenly you embraced Him gladly as Lord, and that suddenly was the work of the Holy Spirit in you. So if you say that Jesus is Lord, it's because of God's Word by God's Spirit making you alive. That's why the true Spirit people are all of Christ's people. The true spiritual people are all of Jesus Christ's people. They say Jesus is Lord. Let me ask you, is that the litmus test you're using? Is that how you identify a truly spiritual person? Or friends, do you, do you have a kind of tier system in mind, a kind of class system by which perhaps you evaluate people? Are they in the spirit-filled class or the non-spirit-filled class? The spirit-baptized class or the non-spirit-baptized class? Are they the supernaturally kind of gifted people or just the naturally gifted people? Listen, according to verse 3, there's only one tier, and the litmus test is, what do they say about Jesus Christ? Do they call him Lord? Now, do some actively rely on the Spirit more than others? Sure. Do some seek to be filled with the Spirit more often than others? Sure. But the point here is that all of Christ's people are these true Spirit people. That means, let's just draw an implication, that means no gift of the Spirit, no miraculous ability, no obvious supernatural power even defines a true person of the Spirit of God. Having certain obvious gifts, unlearned languages, prophecy, healing does not make anyone more of a person of the Spirit. And likewise, if your spiritual gifts are, let's say, quieter, if they are more behind the scenes, you are no less a person of the Spirit. All of Christ's people are people of the Spirit, let's call them. But let's, let's just draw briefly one other implication from verse 3. Don't we see here also how the Spirit in our lives, He points us to Christ in particular. We say Jesus is Lord, my Master, my Sovereign, my King, by the Spirit... The Spirit shows us who Jesus really is and enables us to respond rightly to who He really is. The Spirit especially points us to Jesus. He does countless things in our lives. Countless things. But you could put them under this big banner of the Spirit of God exalting the Son of God. Here's a, here's a big banner for the Spirit's work in your life. The Spirit of God exalting the Son of God. 
It's as Jesus said in John 16, 14. The Spirit will glorify me, Jesus said. The Spirit will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. J.I. Packer calls this the, the spotlight ministry of the Holy Spirit. The spotlight ministry. As if for us, he shines a great spotlight for us to see the glory of Jesus Christ. Or as Edmund Clowney put it, the Spirit does not carry us beyond Christ, but to Christ. Isn't that an implication of verse 3? The Spirit does not carry us beyond Christ to some weird place. He carries us to Jesus Christ. So if this experienced leg of the stool alarms you or concerns you or you're thinking right now, what has happened to my church? Rest assured, we're talking about the work of the Spirit who glorifies the Son. The Spirit of God does not take us beyond Christ. He takes us to Jesus Christ. That's crucial truth number one, friends. Recognize all the people of the Spirit, all who say Jesus is Lord, which leads to crucial truth here, number two. Let's call it this. Value now, value all the gifts of the Spirit. Recognize all the people of the Spirit and value, treasure all the gifts He gives. Look at verse 4 with me, please. Verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them, in, empowers them all in everyone. Now, the apostle makes a little change here. He's not using the term he used in verse 1 for spiritual people. Now he pivots to a term you may have heard, we say charisma, or it's pronounced charisma, something like that, derived from the Greek word for grace in verse 4, where it says gifts, that's derived from the word for grace. So now he's saying these are various grace gifts. That's important to realize. Instead of addressing who are the spiritual elite, the spiritual Navy SEALs, now I want to talk about what are gifts of God's grace to all of his people? In other words, you don't have to pass through airport security to get these gifts. You don't have to wind your way through a TSA line and kind of be scanned and make sure you're okay before you can pass into the spirit-empowered life and get one of these spiritual gifts. They're gifts of grace purchased by Jesus. And the point God wants us to see here about these gifts of grace, these grace gifts, is that we would value each and every one. See, the apostle is now, for the rest of the chapter, really going to hammer one nail. I think I could describe it in three words. Diversity within unity. Diversity within unity as it relates to these gifts. Look at verse 4. He said, there are varieties of gifts. Verse 5, varieties of service. Verse 6, 
varieties of activities. See, to a church infatuated with certain gifts, God says, let me explode your narrowness. <laughs> let me demolish your narrow understanding of my Spirit's work in my people with one word, varieties. And yet they are varieties, he says, from the same source. Did you catch that? Here's the unity part. The same source. Verse 4, again, varieties of gifts, same spirit. Varieties of service, same Lord. Varieties of activities, same God who empowers them all. Now his point here is not, is not the Spirit gives gifts, the Lord gives service, and the Father, uh, he gives activities. No, these are synonyms he's using to say this great diversity of gifting all has one source, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He loves this diversity of gifting among his people. And he wants us to love that as well. And I think this passage hints at why. When you read same spirit, same Lord, same God, you are hearing something of the diversity within unity found in the nature of God himself. One God three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In the nature of God, there is a, a kind of diversity within fundamental unity. Friends, could there be any stronger motivation for us to embrace the variety of gifts this one God gives? Could there be any stronger motivation than embracing something of his nature reflected in his people. You might ask yourself here, are there gifts I have kind of despised or shied away from or prayed that would never come near me? I mean, I mean I'll take healing, but I don't want helps. It's too much work. Or I'll take wisdom, but this unlearned language for prayer, no thank you. <laughs> Listen, if so, consider what you're saying about God when you do that. If the triune God is the good and wise source of this variety of gifts, and this diversity within unity reflects something of the nature of God himself, and he's calling us to say, embrace all that I'm doing in your midst. But to whom and why? Well, that's verse 7. Look at verse 7 with me. It says, to each, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each, he says. So there are no ungifted Christians to each is given what? The manifestation of the Spirit. All of these gifts demonstrate or show the Spirit of God. And why? Why? Why does he give them? For the exaltation of that individual? To make a local church celebrity out of them? No. For the common good. For the building up of the body of Christ. Now, we'll talk more about that next week. But notice how he goes on here to illustrate and accent 
this variety and this unity. Listen to these next verses, verses 8 through 10, and just note every time you hear one or another. Verse 8. For to one is given, through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Do you hear what he's saying? He's not giving us this exhaustive catalog of spiritual gifts. His point is diversity. It's you have a gift, and you, 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 and you. It's another, 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 another. It's all of you. Each of those gifts saying, They're from the Spirit of God. They manifest, demonstrate, or show His work. And that's why I like Wayne Grudem's definition of a spiritual gift. Take this in. He says, a spiritual gift is any ability empowered by the Holy Spirit for the use in any ministry of the church. That's sufficiently broad and I think represents the text well. Any ability empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any, any, any ministry of the church. That's a spiritual gift. And when you compare the lists of these gifts in Scripture, places like Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4, later on this same chapter, when you compare these lists, you'll find the Scripture lists side by side what we might call supernatural gifts, we might call natural gifts, and it makes no distinction between them. Now, why is that? It doesn't say, here are the natural gifts, and here are the supernatural gifts. Scripture makes no distinction because there is no distinction. They're all supernatural. They're all empowered by the Spirit of God. There is, friends, there is no mundane spiritual gift. You can't miss that point by the time you get to verse 11. All these, he says, all these are empowered, friends, empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each individually as he wills, as he chooses, as he determines. See, the church in this passage, it's kind of like, it's kind of like an orchestra. God is creating an orchestra from his people, which I find encouraging because I'm not musical. But he's creating an orchestra here at Grace Church even. He is handing out instruments for each of us to play. Some receive a violin. Some get a flute. Some get a trombone. And someone gets the tuba. Someone gets to hit the big gong. And someone gets that little triangle thing. But God is the great conductor. He determines which instrument goes to whom, but this is important, 
He expects every single instrument to play its part. He wants every single instrument contributing to this beautiful piece of music called the common good, the building up of the body of Christ. And so you might be asking here, okay, well, what's my instrument? How do I find my gift or gifts? Well, I'm going to let you in on a secret. <laughs> I like the, the advice of Sam Storms. Let your gift find you. Pray and serve. Pray and serve. Start serving, start meeting the needs around you, and you'll begin to see how God is empowering you to make a difference for the common good. But as you do so, friends, ask yourself these questions. Consider right now these questions. Am I making certain gifts the badge of the Spirit's real work? Do I elevate certain gifts, maybe for the attention I might receive instead of the common good? I find as a good check for myself as one for whom I have to be up on a stage once in a while. I need to make sure I don't undervalue in the least the countless gifts that even made this meeting possible. How about you? Or, on the other side, do you feel inferior because of the gifts God may have given you? Do you feel a bit inferior? Why is that? Is there some envy in your heart toward others around you? You know, they have the noticeable gifts, and I just have service. Listen, both are errors. Both. Exalting certain gifts and minimizing other gifts. Both are errors because God is calling us to value all the gifts of the Spirit right here. So, that means we celebrate gifts of service in joyful setup and takedown, like in Nick Cardinale and Sonny Hicks. And we celebrate if a friend receives the gift of an unlearned language for prayer. We celebrate both. It means we value a gift of New Testament prophecy like in Lindsay Helmers. And we equally value gifts of hospitality in people like Van and Susan Shalen. It means we value gifts of leadership like in Eric Lemkuhl or Sharon Farrington. And we equally value and glorify God for gifts of administration like in Jane Richards and Dan and Melanie Arthur. It means we celebrate Christ-like service and help in people like Debbie Michaeljohn and Joseph Cabral. And we celebrate gifts of wisdom in people like Dana Borey and Steve Farrington and Marshall Narvison. And we honor gifts of faith in people like Doug Olufsen and Amy Cisson. And we honor gifts of help in Tiffany Arthur and Alan Cisson. We 
We thank God for gifts of encouragement in people like Scott and Jossie Moon. And we honor gifts of teaching like in Joshua and Donna Morgan. We thank God for musical gifts like in Dustin and Liz and everyone else who serves on the music team. And we honor gifts of mercy like in Margie Padelford and Mindy Colton and Becca Orlowski and on and on and on. I could mention every name here. My point is there is a tremendous variety Tremendous diversity of gift in Grace Church, friends. And God is saying through his word, value that. Treasure these gifts around you, these spirit-empowered abilities for the common good. Value each and every one. Value all the Spirit's gifts as you recognize all the Spirit's people. That's the takeaway. Value all the Spirit's gifts, friends. Treasure them as you recognize all the Spirit's people, everyone who says, Jesus Christ is Lord. And we want to end saying, Jesus is Lord, by taking the Lord's Supper together. So with those who are exercising their gifts by serving us in music, and by preparing the Lord's Supper, please prepare to do so, and we thank you for doing so.